You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. It is such an honor for me to, to be here. Not only have I known Randy a long, long time, as he said, but uh, this church has been a very important church in my wife's family, which has been my family for over 36 years now since we got married. I did ask Dee to marry me in the chapel here at UPC, which was great. <clears throat> she said no. You know, uh, I, I persisted, and finally in a Methodist church, she said yes, and finally got it right. That's a lie, but it's funny. Okay. Uh, and, and I've actually gotten to be on this particular stage two other times for extended family because this, this church has, goes back through Dee's roots several generations. I, I, probably most of you don't know who Bob Young was, but he passed away several years ago. He was on the building committee for this sanctuary. Bob and Florence Young are the grandparents. He was the, he was the uh, patriarch of this family of all women. So at the memorial, uh, Earl Palmer and I did the memorial for, for Robert Young, and I, I said that uh, it was a strong family of women that Bob was a part of, and actually, and I go, well, you know, is there a family of strong women? Which was a little more accurate, actually. This is a powerful, the young women, any of you who know them over the years. There's another family, the Devons. Uh, Dan Devon is one of the uncles. He's one like me, one of the guys that marry into this clan of these incredible women. Uh, and, and Danny's dad was the mayor of Seattle for years. So this church has been so significant, not only in the Northwest, not only through several lives, uh, spreading out, but I got drawn into it many years ago. And so to have the honor of being able to share with you in this role is so wonderful for me. I have to tell you, especially on Mother's Day, um, it, it's a day that we recognize the gift and glory of mothers every year and the power of mothers. And yet, to celebrate this, uh, we must also recognize that for many among us, Mother's Day is not exactly the celebration that we often proclaim it to be. It can be a difficult time for many. And this is a, it's important for us to recognize that as these different seasons come along, and especially something like this, there are many among us that this is a painful time. So wherever you are in the time of, of, uh, Mother's Day, we want you to know, and especially in this Sticky Faith Sunday and this language of we have been adopted by God into his family, that this is actually a season to celebrate and share even pain with one another. So welcome and happy Mother's Day. Interesting, mothers have been, in every culture for a long time, uh, have been honored. The concept of the best of what mothering is the maternal aspects related to nurture is cross-cultural. And yet God made mothers. And we know this, obviously. And God made mothers because he knows that we need what they bring to all of us, especially the best of our mothers. They are as necessary to us, us as air. Kind of, it's true, you know, dads are as necessary as, you know, sports, <clears throat> TV, cable, um, you know, a solitaire apps. You know, dads are necessary at times. But boy, on Mother's Day, we do remember that this whole maternal side of nurture that really is not theologically and biblically limited to gender. It's not even necessarily directly about gender 
because God is the author of gender, so he has not limited himself by gender, even though our language is limited as we describe our God. So when we talk about God, God describes himself as a heavenly parent, true in the scriptures, most often in a patriarchal society, God would describe himself as father. We know that. But he also describes himself as mother, Isaiah 66, 13. As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you, and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. No surprise then when Paul uses this pointed and universal metaphor, he's describing our life together like a mother, as we heard in the text that was read so beautifully together today by you both. Uh, in the text, 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 to 8, he's described in the NIV, which was read today, as a nursing mother, a mother of an infant who needs uh, the sustenance of her mother's milk. And in the NRSV, which is the pew Bible that you have with you, it's as a nurse with her own children. So it's exactly the same concept. Paul's saying, like a mother, this is what it meant and personally, he's talking for me to do ministry with you. And that leads us to our text. There are three things about the maternal love in Paul's ministry that he wants all of the church and God wants all of us today to be well aware of, especially when we talk about this kind of uh, fog-like notion of intergenerational ministry. This is a world and a day that is all but lost the ability to understand what it means to live into a maternal nurturing relationships and especially to receive them anywhere outside of our family and if we're lucky enough to have it even in our own families. It's a world that's become more and more fragmented. It's become so fragmented to the point that scholars and others are writing about it being atomized. At a world we've become so individual so isolated, so disconnected from one another, not just generationally, but in just about every way we would measure such a thing. Gender, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, politics. You just go on down the list, but it, it's not even limited to these categories. That's fragmentation. Atomization is where we become literally so isolated. We feel like we're an atom flying through space trying to perform our way into blessing. And when it comes to young people, to children, to adolescents, to emerging adults, and for women, that lasts mid to late 20s, this adolescent period. For men, mid to late 50s. That sucker, you know, just... <laughs> it's interesting that it takes a greater toll on the young who haven't learned how to survive in a world of atomization, isolation, conformity, performance, and image. And therefore, this notion of what does it mean to be maternal, which is thoroughly biblical, and that's embedded within this text, 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 to 8. Notice, we'll take a look at three passages, places in this scripture. First, the very first verse, you know, brothers and sisters, our visit to you was not without results. The earlier version of the NIV said it this way, our visit to you was not a failure, our visit to you, our intention to move in your direction. That is the first 
expression of what it means to live into maternal relationships with others is to be what we call incarnational. The incarnation is one act in all of created history, and that's when God decided to invade human history, become one of us. John 1 talks about this. Other parts of Scripture do too in the Old and New Testament. But in John 1 especially, God became flesh. Eugene Peterson puts it this way, and moved into the neighborhood. John 1.14. And as God became flesh and moved among us, he incarnated himself in human history and changed everything because he came to us. But so too the Apostle Paul modeled this exact same thing on a human scale. In the upper room, after Jesus had raised from the dead, John 20.21 tells us, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. So the Apostle Paul, who came along a little bit later, was one of the gathered sent ones. He was sent by the Holy Spirit, sent by the church, sent to the city of Thessalonica to build relationships as he shared the gospel. See, that's that's actually how God designed his world, his universe, and people, is we are not called to simply stay back and hold back in the corner and to receive from one another We are the sent ones. We are incarnators of the gospel. And Paul, in his ministry to people, his care for others was incarnational. He went. Well, the second is this, is in verse 7, and it's a beautifully powerful metaphor. And it says this, Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we too cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. The J.B. Phillips translation of this says, we loved you so much, we dared not only to share you the gospel of God, but our very lives as well. So dear you had become to us. That great video of Lil and the Hatches, of where there was a mutuality of caring, of sharing the gospel, but sharing the gospel was embedded within the sharing of one another's lives. See, that's the second aspect of what God calls us to as followers of Christ, is that we not only incarnate ourselves by keeping our eyes up and and look for places and ways that we can connect with others, especially those who are vulnerable in need, like the early believers in Thessalonica, But then as we go, we go with the intentionality of a nurturing presence. We go with the idea to walk alongside, to step into the lives of others, not to to speak into them or give them more lectures or training or cognitively pass on faith from one generation to another. Intergenerational ministry theologically is not about me taking what I have in my head and dumping it into programs so hopefully it'll seep into your life. That's not sticky faith. Whether you're in middle school, high school, young adult, whether you're a little bit older or you're a senior adult, wherever you are on that scale, our calling together is not to simply just sit back and disseminate information or resources, but to actually take our lives as a legacy to hand to those who are vulnerable and come behind us. Legacy is not money. 
Legacy is not buildings. Legacy is not reputation. Legacy is where we take what God has given us and we pour that in to those that follow us. It is the great joy. It's the greatest joy. The older you get, the more that you have to offer the greatest joy that God has for us. <clears throat> now, I, I actually, this is a, I'm a one-trick pony guy. All you know so far is I'm attractive. You know, it's all you got. <laughs> But I, I've, I've done a lot of research. I've done a lot of study. I've worked very hard to, be what I, to do what I do. But I've got to tell you, at the end of the day, this is kind of the, the message is, who are we? Who are we as the church? And so I, I, in my career and what I do is I do this a lot of places. I've actually done this at UPC a couple of times, both consulting smaller groups of leaders, as well as done some parent things here and something at the end. Dee and I have done a couple of things at the end over the years. And it's basically saying the same thing. But I have learned that I need to rent a car when I come to churches to do this. Oftentimes I'll go to a church and I'll preach, you know, two or three times. And then we'll do some kind of lunch with the staff. And then usually I'll do like a three or a two to five o'clock seminar on what does it mean to love young people as we live out who we are as a church. And then I get out of Dodge as fast as I can, get in that rent a car, go get my Presbyterian beverage, get on the plane and go home. That's funny if you even have any idea what a Presbyterian beverage is. <laughs> Baptists know what Presbyterian beverages are. <laughs> this one time I made a mistake. I let the senior pastor go, I'll drive you. I want a little time with you. I want to bend your ear. That should have been my warning. So I go, okay, sure, whatever. This is before I actually And so we get in the car after we're done. Bye, bye. It's been great. Okay, fine. And he goes, driving as a... 60 minute drive to the airport he's driving he said boy thanks a lot and now I know how to deal with my 15 year old son he's a jerk I, I'm, and I know I'm in for it he's a jerk okay so I'm 15 year old son and he goes but after hearing you you talked about this 5 to 1 thing you'll notice you have a card in your bulletin I don't know if you've seen this there's a card that talks about what sticky faith is here at UPC and uh, there's some steps on it. And uh, because it's written by the youth staff, it says there are three steps, but of course there are four. It's either written by the author of Proverbs or it's the youth staff. I don't know who actually wrote that. That's funny if you know, you know, the book of Proverbs. Uh, it's in the Old Testament. So maybe some of you have actually never <clears throat> seen it. All right. That said, uh, on this thing, I talk about five to one in my research I did the largest ethnography, the actually only ethnography done of high school students and continued that research with a team of folks over the years, trying to understand what a high school kids feel about their own life experience. And we've expanded that into emerging adults. And what they report is because of growing up in a culture of atomization and performance, they do have deficits and woundedness and bruises from their own life experience. And not just some, that's what the research tells us but all at some level. It's a human condition. We all have bruises from where we longed for a maternal style, nurture, and yet we haven't quite received it, maybe even as lifelong followers of Christ. And so what's the antidote to this? Well, if the problem is fragmentation, atomization culturally and even in the church, then the solution is what does it mean to to actually live into what God has for us. And so what we often talk about is this idea of nurture. Paul's saying, we loved you so much, we gave you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives as well. Verse 7 and 8, 1 Thessalonians 2, is we need people in our lives in order to become healthy adults, 
We know this developmentally. But theologically, we need people in our lives for us to actually believe the gospel is true. For life to stick, for life to be, um, faith to stick and faith to be meaningful and to believe it's true, we need not only people to give us programs and content and staff, we need people to pour their lives into us, people that have experienced Christ, what uh, Lil does with the hatches that allows us to feel and experience firsthand that the gospel's true, that I'm not alone, that I do matter, that I do have something to contribute, that somebody believes in me, whether or not I can kick a soccer ball or what SAT score I had. We call this the five to one. It came out of my research and hurt. We put it into Sticky Faith. Many people have been using that ever since. Five non-parental adults for every for every young person growing up. They need five non-parental adults. It's based on research that we know they need several. What's the number? Well, roughly five, the summation of research out there. But in the church, we just need maternal love. And this guy said, I know what I need. This pastors were driving. I need to get five men. And I went, uh-oh. Either I blew it or he didn't listen. Five men to speak into my kid's life. Five men that will adopt my kid into their families. Well, first of all, it's not about just men pouring into men. In the fullness of the body of Christ, we need women to pour into boys, and we need men to pour into girls, and we need men and women to pour into each other, and we need to recognize that we all are in this together and we need one another. And not to speak into somebody's life. That's almost the last thing you need. By the way, by the time you hit 14, you've heard every speech you're ever going to need to hear. (laughs) You need presence and modeling and relationship. And that gets down to the third. Incarnation, nurturing presence, and thirdly, an empowerment. Verse 13, which we did not read today, but Paul says this. As we also thank God continually... Because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, and you received from us relationally, as verse 7 and 8 says, you accepted it, not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. That's what it means to be the church. There's not a one of us that doesn't long for the maternal nurture, incarnation, and empowerment to receive and live out the gospel. And the way God has designed his church is we do that for each other. There's a woman, Nancy Longmire, where I am. I'm an interim preaching pastor at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church in Newport Beach, California. Not bad in the winter, even though I live in Gig Harbor. And uh, Nancy's 77, and she filled out a little box that she thought was meaning she's going to cook something for the kids. And it turns out they they put her as a small group leader with with high school girls. How do you like that one? Oh, Nancy's just a little freaked out, 77. 
And Nancy started kind of working with the, kind of go, showing up at this thing, but luckily there's another leader there and she didn't know what to do. She said, I don't want to know what to say to 15 to 16 year old girls. And the other leader who was about 24 said, you don't have to say anything, Nancy, because it's you that bring Jesus to them. And after now Nancy doing this for about a year, she remarked to me, those girls are not cha- I'm not changing those girls. Those girls are changing me. I've seen this firsthand with my daughter and daughter-in-law. In the last eight months, they've given us two gorgeous little granddaughters. You see a picture of them here, I think. Uh, it's not that one. Not that one. Uh, welcome. And it's welcome to these two girls. I don't know if we, do we have them or not, you guys? What do you think? There they are. Uh, that's little Hallie on the right. That's a hat. That's not her head. Uh, <clears throat> Hallie Louise lives in Everett, Washington. And on the left is little Issa, who's about six weeks old. Hallie's almost eight months. Here's on Mother's Day what it means for us to be the kind of church where young people and old people are living into their mutual adoption in Christ as siblings in God's family. When I saw my daughter first and then my daughter-in-law with little Issa and little Hallie, they intentionalize. They nurture, protect, and offer their presence, and they empower these young girls to know Jesus, to love Jesus, and to follow him for the rest of their lives. May UPC be a community across the board where men and women of every ethnicity, of every age, of every single strata that you can identify that separates us come together as one family in Christ as siblings who do not adopt each other but who encourage one another's adoption in Jesus Christ John 1:12 for all who believed him for all who received him he gave them the right to become children of God we are siblings we have been adopted by Jesus May we live into that for God's glory and his sake. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the great and rich history of this church. And thank you so much for the way that you have adopted each one of us and drawn us from being an orphan into being found as a child among other children. May we have the courage to keep our eyes up, the commitment to look beyond ourselves and to give our lives away even to just one person for your sake and your glory. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206 524-7301, extension 117.